Uh, let me get us into our guests. So we have uh, Luisa Mendoza. She's a commercial and corporate cinematographer. We have Shia Yen Zarobi. He is a commercial and wedding videographer. And Armin Tahanian, he's a filmmaker and real estate videographer. And they have done some beautiful stuff. And I'm so glad you guys are all here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Um, we also have Jamie Allen from the UK. Well, I got a couple UK guys. We have John. He is from the US. He's in his third year student at CSUMB studying communication and design and Joe media production student from the UK. We have a lot of UK guys. Thanks for being here. Um, and a lot of students. So we'll keep that in mind as we talk here. Uh, I would love to start just sort of talking about what each of you do just to set up the audience. I have an echo. I hope you guys don't have an echo here. Um, just want to set up the audience to um, what you guys are doing. So Louisa, let's start with you first. So I'm going to show your so, sort of show your clip while you talk to us through what it is. What do you feel like corporate videography actually is? Well, I, Corporate videography is, for me, it's all type of corporate communications, branded messaging. Um, anytime, you know, you might, I might do stuff for a big brand, a big brand, but it's, you know, they're internal and maybe they're uh, Facebook or some kind of, you know, just small advertising on, on social media. And then just, but a lot of corporate um, imaging and I do a lot of opens for corporate um, like meetings. Uh, so I do a lot of videos, which are fun because those turn into like mini movies. Cause if you're doing the opening to a big sales mm -hmm. meeting, we do a lot of mimicking of, of um, like high end, like movie trailers. Like I, I did one for Hewlett Packard where we did, a, it was basically, um, it was like a, and my man, men in black kind of thing. And so we spoofed all that and it's, it's fun. So you get to like make movies, but on the corporate dollar. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so Armin, why don't you talk to us about what real estate video is for you? Uh-oh, I can't hear Armin. There you go. What's up? Oh, are you there? Okay. Yeah, a lot of what I do with the real estate video production are the homes that are for sale. I'll, I'll do like a tour of the home, a uh, nice walkthrough, uh, just to showcase the house other than photography, uh, especially because like nowadays with videos, a big demand for video production in real estate marketing so it's just tours of the house uh, sometimes i do commercials with agents you know like small commercials like that but mostly touring the home i love it your these shots are gorgeous i'd love to have these in my films um and then of course shaya let's talk about wedding videography and what that means for you and your and how you handle it all so remember when we would go out to events and big parties or celebrations, <laughs> uh, it's so hard to remember all the fun celebrations that happen, the candid moments. So what I do is I help newlyweds remember all the happenings, all the excitement, Aww. all the joy. Um, so that in like 10, 20 years from now, they can look back and just remember what it was like to be in love on that first day, maybe show their kids what it was like, uh, when they were first in love, things like that. I love that so much. I mean, I am a romantic dramedy filmmaker, so <laughs> I'm already like a mushball when it comes to that. And so I love watching your stuff, but I really like your philosophy behind that. Mm. That like it's, because a lot of this we're talking about now and for our audience is like being client-based, you know, trying to please them. You have a very hard job. I'm sure a very high pressure job with weddings because it's like this couples have spent a lot of money for this one day of their life. So if you screw it, if you screw up, like there's so much more on your head, I think, than any of the rest of us. Um, have you ever had a time where something just went terribly wrong and you had to, you know, fix it somehow or? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, so one thing is we have a metaphor that we are like ducks swimming on a pond. We're above <laughs> the surface. We're just totally chill. We're doing our thing, but underneath the surface, we are paddling to make sure that we're on schedule and just to make sure things go smoothly. Um, one story is that I was filming uh, in a very close space, a uh, a registry signing. So after they, they were married, they had to sign and make things official. And there were these tea candles on the table. And just Ooh. as the, the witness moved the piece of paper over to sign it, it lit on fire. And I didn't notice if anyone else was looking. So I was looking to the photographer and I just kind of panicked and I just smashed it out with my hand. And then Look back to the photographer, like, wow, I can't believe that happened. And she just turns, wait, what happened? Oh my and gosh. Thought, okay. Did so you just, get it on camera? Did you, did you were able to film it or was it just too fast? It was too fast. Like the camera, it, it's just a blurry clip, but it was just reacting and it was making sure that something didn't go awry. 
And I wow. just took it upon myself to burn out a fire or put out a fire. Yeah. Armin, what are some of the toughest parts about doing real estate videography? Um, trying to, I think, I think one of the toughest parts would actually be trying to take something that people are usually used to seeing still images and then trying to give it motion where, you know, a lot of the camera movements are kind of walking you through the property. And, and a lot of times the client that you're dealing with is the sales agent. So he's also has somebody to impress, which is the person who's mm -hmm. selling the home. If he doesn't do a good job, he's going to lose the listing. So a lot of responsibility on your hand to make sure the property sells, make sure you show it in its best light and its best, uh, order of rooms, you know, the editing, the music, so many things go into like showcasing the property in its best form. And uh, a lot of times it's, it's a little bit of pressure, you know, with the real estate agents, some of them micromanage, some of them, I can imagine. Know, they, they like to show up there at the, at the day of the shoot to remind you to shoot everything that you, you, they think you're going to forget. But uh, other times I've worked with agents where, you know, I've never even met before. They just have a lockbox on the door and they just say, you know, go and get the shots and send me the video. So it's a, it's a little bit about balancing, you know, the, uh, the clients. Yeah. I would imagine that Louisa has pretty similar thoughts on that. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I come from the philosophy. I was like, I guess I was raised in corporate video. I was part of a, a larger production company for a long time, uh, actually 17 years. And that's where I got the break into corporate communications. But yeah, I like to approach it as you know, I put on the uniform of whatever client I'm working for. And I try to remember that I might not be making an Oscar winning movie, but to them, that is their whole budget. So that is their Oscar for the year. And that's how I try to go at it. You know, it's like, cause that, that is their departments. You know, I don't care what widgets you're making, but I'm going to make those widgets look really good because that, you know, and I, so I try to take on, like, I'll wear the company shirt if I need to. And <laughs> I have to, I, I joke about it because I was raised in Catholic school and they were, they were like, you're wearing that uniform. They know where you come from. They can find you. And so I always, that, I, but I take that to my corporate clients. I am a representative of them. So if I'm out shooting an event for them, that's how I don't, I don't want to detract from that client. I want, if anything, I want them to go, man, that videographer that was with you guys was amazing. And, you know, so I try to, I try to take on the persona. I look at the company I'm working with, try to get some research. You know, I want to go oh, do my research I before I work that. with them. And so I can get a bit of the co corporate culture as, as I'm working with them. Cause I think if you bring those little bitty things that, that gets you remembered, get your name passed around. But like I said, you're not, you know, it'd be great to make movies and I get to do that on some projects. You know, I've gotten to make, do a breaking bad spoof and I've gotten, to, you know, do, you know, fake uh, fly out of airplane, you know, do um, parach parachuting. Jeez. So nice. It, yeah. We were using the corporate jet of the company and the opening of the sales meeting was them. They were having a fight in the jet and they were, they, uh, they parachuted out and then we dropped them into the ballroom. How live. fun. <laughs> so, so you get no one ever really thinks about corporate videos like that right i mean we run in every building downtown to do you know like dolly shots through and it's the, the, all this chase and spy games and it was so much fun but. i love that i have a friend who's in corporate too and he he said that he used to get really burnt out and he would he found that he had to tell himself look whatever i'm going to film today is practice for my big feature film so like you know he would talk about like jurassic park and how jurassic park has the little you know here's how Jurassic Park was made video in the film. And so this was his practice for that. And I think that that I love that your philosophy is similar. Like this is my movie. I get to make this. I this. And also, you know, you, you're paying your rent making filming stuff. That's way better than ever doing anything else. Right. And they have corporate hours, you know, that's the, that's what I love the most. Like nobody wants to stay past, you know, six <laughs> if you're a CEO. Awesome. So <laughs> you're not going to be there at midnight. I love that. We have so many comments. Um, coming in from the UK with a lot of UK students. I would love to know how you guys found out about us today. Put that in the chat box and I'm going to get to these questions. I promise. I do want to start with some of the basic things that filmmakers love to know, which is gear. Um, I know it just changes from, from job to job. Let's talk small jobs where it's a lot of like just you and maybe you and other one or two other people. What's your gear like? What are your cameras are you using? What are your lights? What kind of, how many lights are you taking? Talk to us about that. Armin, do you want to start with that? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, well, I do everything by myself, one man show, um, except for the editing. I do have an editor that I work with. But uh, as far as gear goes, uh, gimbal for real estate, uh, definitely a must. You know, you can walk through, get those long uh, shots that you could speed ramp, uh, slider, tripod, uh, drone, very important. 
if, if you're allowed to fly in that area, if it's, not, if it's not a restricted area, it's definitely important to get the drone shot. Uh, that's actually how I got started in filmmaking. I bought a drone and, uh, you know, that was my introduction to filmmaking. This is and, fun. <laughs> yeah. And started doing real estate right away and then been doing that for the whole time. What is your cam? Do you use small like DSLR cameras? Do you use bigger yeah. cameras? Yeah, I use a DSLR, uh, just uh, SLR, just to uh, have it on a gimbal because a smaller camera helps helps out that way. Um, try and shoot it in high frame rate, you know, so that I can slow it down in post. And uh, other than that, I don't use any lights. Uh, rarely use lights. Sometimes when I do photography, I, I don't even like to use flash. I like to show the house in its natural lighting, just so that when the buyer comes in, they're gonna see it the way they saw it in the video, rather than trying to change the lighting of the house. I love that. And um, as far as the gimbal, what is what kind of, which gimbal do you use? Um, right now I have the Ronin, Ronin RS2, the newest one. Um, anytime a new one comes out, I buy it right away. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And which camera is it you're using most now? Uh, mostly for real estate, I do Sony uh, for the low light. Um, and nice. you know, it's just a G master lens. I'm usually at like F four, F five, but sometimes in darker rooms, you need that, you know, 2.8. So, um, that's my setup. Awesome. Uh, Shia, what about you? So, uh, I, I do shoot weddings, but I also shoot corporate. So first for weddings, uh, being light and mobile is key. So currently shooting with the a seven three, uh, monopod, tripod. I don't often work with the gimbal. When I do, it's a Ronin S. Uh, my teammates, when I bring them on, uh, they shoot with the GH5. A lot of handheld strategically because uh, you don't want just like a, a, a shaky video the whole time. Right. Now, when I do shoot corporate videos, uh, I bring on a teammate that shoots with, with Blackmagic. Um, I just find that they produce results that work with corporate videos whereas Sony works with weddings. So yeah. for that, I also use uh, the Filex, Felix P360 light setup. So just a two point system. It's all about being mobile on weddings because you are like hustling for 10 to 12 hours and you need to take care of your own body <laughs> spiritually too. So packing light and condensing so that you can do the job throughout the day. Do you, do you ever swap lenses or you just stay on one lens the entire shoot for the weddings? I, I will swap. Uh, right now I shoot with the, the 24 to 70 G Master. Um, I'm going to be looking at moving to Prime, but I, I shoot with a zoom lens because you're, you're in situations that could change on a dime. So I like the versatility, um, but then my teammates, I rely on them for like the more creative shots where I'm getting safe imagery. So they have Prime yeah. lenses when they can just float around and get all that beautiful image and make it look pretty without much work. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So if they're watching, thank you so much. <laughs> um, Louisa, now we know you've done big, big shoots, but on a typical corporate shoot, are they more smaller crews? Yeah. Is it ever just you and a sound guy? Oh, What's it's the always, I mean, uh, thanks to the pandemic, it's always just me now. Um, I used to get sound guys, um, but I, I've, I've always had enough audio to be dangerous. And I've always like, Mar I do always have a market for my one woman band stuff. Um, so yeah, I've got a Panasonic EVA one. I have, uh, I use the Canon zoom lenses, 24 to 105, 70 to 200. Then I've got a Rokinon prime set um, of 35, 50 and 85 for all my interviews. I have Rokinons. Those are my, I tell everybody, new, like filmmakers, I'm like, you're so affordable and they look so nice. If you and can't afford it. Stuff, they're not, yeah. I mean, they don't need the CP2s. Would I love a set of CP2s? Yeah, but I'm going to chase my <laughs> clients. So we're going to have the Rokinon primes, which make an interview look great. I mean, you, you do a long hallway, you just set somebody in the hallway and you go down and you just put, I put a, like I carry, and I carry a lot of little lights with me because like if it's on sale at B&H for under $100 or at $100, I'm like, I have all these, I have a whole kit of just these little lights that I can put in the backgrounds and hang up. But I, I use my Astros, uh, six by six X uh, Astros with chimeras on them. Those are my two go-to lights. And then I've got um, some little match, Cineo match boxes for my backlights and accents. So that's great. And then I, I, audio I think that and it's a slider and a DJ, I, ha I don't run all with the a things. gimbal. Yeah. I don't run with the gimbal, but I do have the Osmo, the DJI Osmo, um, which I like. So I use those on trade trade show floors or registrations for corporate events, you know, cause you can weave through people and it's kind of fun and ramp it up. I, I think that for all the filmmakers who are watching, especially the students who are asking, you know, even about getting started. Uh, most of us, who, when we started doing corporate client stuff, we had one camera, 
one lens and maybe a light, maybe like, so you really can get smaller clients and get started and get the footage you need. You might not get paid as much as you will as you level up. Um, so like, yeah, Louisa's grown her giant kit over time, but <laughs> I started with just a C100 and some, you know, Mr. Right Now lights and some Mr. Right lights. <laughs> That's what I always call them. I love it. Uh, so we've talked about how the crew and how you have it. Um, now, Armin, you said you work with an editor. What about post for Shia and Louisa? Do you guys do your own post? Shia? I Oh, sorry. Oh, no, Lisa, yeah. go ahead. I'm I'm a I'm a dump and run type person. I don't like to get attached to anything. So, <laughs> so you, I mean, generally my clients, I'm handing the footage off to their editing department. They've hired me as to supplement their internal crew for whatever reason, or, um, or yeah, or and I do have I have a part. I have a couple editing partners that if I need to turn it around, I can. But mostly I'm shipping drives. You know, the, they find me on Cruise Control or Production Hub, and I'm shipping drives to New York or wherever. Now I, wow. I just finally installed Fiber, so I can upload to anybody. <laughs> Nice. Uh, Shia, do you do your own post? I do for weddings. Uh, I, I tried, I, I worked with an editor for better part of a year, but I found that the emotional connection wasn't being shown. So I took it upon myself because I knew the couple and their family. Yeah. So I wanted to deliver that. However, for corporate videos, I, um, I work with an editor that is great at his craft. And so by delegating a little bit, it, it allows me to have time to create uh, th those wedding videos. And I think, again, it goes the, to the students. It goes back to when you start, I have an echo again. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> uh, when you guys start, you will be doing your own post. Like you're going to have to know how to edit and do basic color correction, which we're going to have a color correction class coming up in April, I think for free for everybody. Uh, you've got to know these things because you're not going to have the enough money to pay for your crew. I think that's when I knew I was doing okay was when I was like, oh, I can hire sound and an editor. All right, <laughs> like move it up. Um, how do you guys find new clients or do they find you? Uh, Armin, you wanna start? I'll, that? Start, I'll start, yeah. Uh, finding new clients for me um, was kind of came naturally because before I started filmmaking, I was a lot in sales and marketing. And when I bought my first drone like I bought it literally because I wanted to fly at the park I couldn't care less I had a camera on there and I just I realized right away that I can turn this into a business so I just started going to open houses um, I mean now we don't do open houses anymore because of the pandemic but like when I first started every Saturday and Sunday and Tuesday um, any open house sign that I saw I'd pull over talk to the agent Wow, that's tell them, awesome. tell them right away what I'm doing there. Like I'm not, I don't want to look like a looky loo, and then I'm not, I don't want to waste their time. Uh, a lot of agents uh, have their own go-to guy. Like they have their go-to video guy, their go-to photo guy. Luckily, when I got started, video for real estate was fairly new, so a lot of them had their go-to photographer, but they didn't have their go-to video guy. So I became that go-to video guy for nice. them, and. A lot of cases, like even if they have a video guy today, it doesn't hurt being number two because one day that guy might be on vacation or he might be busy or can't film a property or they have a fallen out with the, with the business relationship. And then they'll remember that one guy that showed up at that open house and gave him a business card. And, you know, then you'll get that phone call and then you'll be that, that next guy. And then every time they get a listing, they give you a call. You'll just be patiently it. waiting, you know. Yeah, you can't get everybody, and 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 I've noticed that. And when I would go to those open houses, I would have my drone with me in the car. And there, there had been times where I got the drone up in the air during the open house, got some footage for them, um, just gave gifted that to them, and then that you stay in their mind. You know, they follow you on Instagram, and then you, and then you develop a relationship over time. And then you start building up your clients that you know call you regularly. And then you give yourself time to always find new ones. Yeah. Uh, Shayat, so do you stalk? Do you stalk like, you know, people's Instagrams? Oh, they're engaged. No. <laughs> oh, yes. 20 hours on Instagram a day. Um, I rely heavily on word of mouth through building relationships. So for the wedding industry, the first few vendors to be hired by a couple is the wedding planner and then the photographer. Of course, the venue as well. So if you are shooting a wedding, talk to, talk to the planner, talk to the photographer, create a relationship that's genuine. Like don't suck up, but you know, ask what you can do. And 
you know, offer a 15 second reel for them because they put in a lot of work on decor, take some BTS of the photographer, help them out because they're hustling too. Um, one thing that I've, that I've found really works is getting a vendor some water because on a 10 hour day, these people, oh, oh, totally Jen, because we're, we're working, we're, we're not going to eat, we're not going to drink, but if you get them that, that water or that glass of Coke, then they're, they're going to remember that. And it has worked for me. And then what happens is down the road, when they get a couple, they think, oh, that videographer who helped me out, I like working with them. I'll spend another 12 hour day with them. So I create relationships to get work. And then they come to me, which increases the chance of them booking. I love it. Yeah. Louisa, how are you getting your corporate clients? So I'm on, like I mentioned earlier, I'm on a production hub, which is, that's the corporate, you know, I try to find the websites and the workplaces that are, that are corporate facing. So I'm on LinkedIn and I use LinkedIn like once a month or once a week to update. Like say I have, I never, you know, I just go out there and I put general things. Like I'll put a BTS picture and then I'll be like, Hey, I'm now booking April, May, whatever. And so I hope to throw out an interesting enough picture to get that. But so I stay active on all my social media platforms like that. I don't use them for personal things except Facebook, but Instagram and Twitter and everything is all just my business. Um, but then, so production hub is corporate facing cruise control is another one you have to pay and you have to provide all your insurance. You, you, and you have to be vetted, but once you're on that, then corp that's where corporations go to call people if they can't send their own people out. So you got to look out. I always look at those type of places because once I can grab a client off of production hub or, or um, cruise control, my goal then is to not let them go back to using that. I want, I want to be their Dallas person. So that's where yeah. I'm in anywhere, Dallas, Austin, Houston, that's where I'm going to, yeah, I want, I want the, my name to sit there. And then I built relationships with producers that came and went through that production company that I grew up at. I was lucky. That was, it was a, one of the bigger ones in town. It turned out a lot of producers. They would stay for two, three years and then go on to other things. And as soon as I went freelance, I started reaching out to those people. I'm like, Hey, I'm free, you know, and they, and they knew that I could handle myself in a corporate setting because some people who come from sports or reality tv you can't make that cross to corporate because you have to have a professional presence that can't be taught really and you got to learn how to blend in with your environments sometimes you can sometimes you can't um but they knew you know that i want to be somebody they can trust that's going to go in there and make their client proud so i think that the, uh getting return clients is you've uh, all had the same theme which is they have there's a trust there's relationship building you know it's like be kind, think of others, do a good job. Uh, Jacob has a question for us. He basically wants to know, do you feel like it's harder to get in the industry as an independent filmmaker as you guys are doing, or um, would it be better to go through a larger production company and say, be running out for them to shoot stuff that they need? Did any of you guys ever work for other production companies? You've always been your independent? I got my start at a big production house here in town. It was corporate facing, and then they started their own uh, uh, reality television stuff. So I got a little of everything. So I got lucky. But did it's that, hard now did to that find help, those places. But did that help you once you went on your own as far as like, did you have like, did it help build your reel? Did it? Oh, it built it just everything the contacts. Yeah. Well, it was a contact, but the real, I mean, I was at that production company. It was every, you know, it's like as fast as you could learn the camera, that's who was shooting the next big thing. So I got to train. I mean, I basically went to grad school through there and I was very Love lucky. That. Yeah. I mean, it was a smaller company, about 75 people on staff at all time, but there was 12 in production and we all did everything. That was the other thing that helped me out. I had to do audio. I had to do teleprompter. I could, I can do everything if I have to. Shia, you had thoughts? Yeah, uh, I spent four years working at another studio and I learned a lot. I started as like just a simple videographer, worked my way up as they grew to a director of videography, managing people, managing editors and learning the back end of running a business. So my time there was so valuable. And then when I decided to rebrand under my own company, I, I had the knowledge and experience to to not just tread water, but to actually like swim and like thrive in the industry mm -hmm. because I had four years of experience and a lot of late nights. Uh, we have a lot of students on and a question that kind of keeps coming up is this, Jacob has, uh, how would you advise a graduate trying to take their first steps into independent filmmaking industry? Um, first question for you guys before we even directly answer this is, do any of you guys do actual like dramatic narrative film on the side of your corporate kind of stuff? Or do you only do your client-based work? Um, I don't know. 
I I do a show that I'm working on. It's not a dramatic, it's nothing scripted. It's unscripted, most of my stuff. But other than client-based work, um, I don't really do any kind of filmmaking. I am going to start a documentary that I'm going to be working on, which I guess would be the closest thing to like a film. Yeah. But uh, I only do corporate or real estate and commercials and stuff like that. Yeah, I used, I used to, you know, I would always help runs on passion projects as I was up and coming. I guess now I've kind of like, I've, now I stick to my corporate stuff, but I guess I, I do do the documentary work though. I do a lot of interviews for documentaries here in town when they come through. So I am known for that. Um, but also uh, I do, I do a lot of reality television. So like yesterday I was shooting on an oxygen true, true crime show. So that was kind of fun. So, so I do, that's my, like, and I, and I do live events, which is interesting because uh, like I'll go work for the Dallas stars tomorrow. So <laughs> Before I, I started working in weddings, when I was in school for video production, I would uh, I would create narratives, but then I also was working with other people, um, that the other directors and producers. And, and again, it just, it gives you the chance to try the rollout. Like Louisa, you're talking about how many different hats you could wear on a set, but you need to get that experience first. So for this graduate, like you can start creating things. It'll teach you how to think about other people, how to make sure that they can do, do their jobs well, and all the other things you have to think about to ensure the job goes smoothly. Um, so you can just kind of jump into it and learn uh, over time. And then also you might make connections and be brought on to someone else's set uh, when, when they're creating something. And I would say yeah. for any student that's coming out and wants to get in it, the best way, if you're, if you want to be on the production side of things like grip, lighting, um, or camera or anything, get a job at a rental house, be their tech, be their clean, the pe pe person that takes the gear back in and resets everything and cleans it. You can learn so much, but you're going to meet those DPs that come in. You're going to meet the ACs that come in you're, and you can go out as a second AC. If they need somebody that knows the gear, you're going to be the one that gets that opportunity. So I, I mean, we've got a couple, we've got like four rental houses here in town and I would in Dallas. So find your local rental house. If you want, if you're a gearhead and you want to be on our side and my side of the camera, then if the, and you, what you want to do films or high-end commercials, I say starting out, try to get a job there and because you'll you'll get picked up real quick. If you're if you're that sharp, they're gonna you'll get snacked up and you'll you'll go out ACN or something. I also want to go back to the social media discussion where you know you guys talk about because I'm the same way, we only use our social media for business. And I cannot stress that enough, students, <laughs> social media for business only, meaning you just shot a film in school post behind the scenes, post the stills when it's done. Post, like you need to look like you're busy and always working. Cause I will tell you my first gig I ever did as a professional and got paid was shooting an interview of freaking Hans Zimmer. I had never done anything like it before, but like I was always shooting all the time, like shooting for friends, reels, doing whatever, put in, I was putting it up. And somehow this company from Germany was like, Hey, we got your information. Would you shoot this? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> And then I went immediately to like a, a mentor. I was like, how do I do three point lighting? <laughs> so like you, you have to, like social media is so important. And as much as I want to get off Facebook completely and I, and I never want to be on it again, you just can't, you have to keep reminding people you're alive. These days I get at least 50% of all my work. I'm on every group you can find. Like I'm in women working in reality TV. I'm in where's spot. That's an ad ad agency kind of group. If you, if you are, if you do it, you can find a group that needs you on Facebook and it's as scary as that is. And some of my older friends in the business are tanking cause they're, they don't want to use Facebook mm. or any type of social media. And I was like, man, you got to adapt, change, pivot. Cause these jobs aren't coming. You know, people aren't just going to find your website anymore. You got to be where the people are. I mean, and even what I'm finding that, that the jobs I see on like staff me up or LinkedIn or something are there. Those people are in my groups and I can get to them directly on Facebook. That's how you get ahead of everybody. For sure. I want to give a shout out to uh, Pia Woodruff, who says she's a handicapped AC in LA about to direct her first short film. Get it, girl. Uh, Bradley Taylor, when any of you were starting off early, how do you feel about buying a kit versus renting when starting up with minimally owned kit? Good question, Bradley. What are your thoughts? Shia, you want to start with that? Yes, happily. Uh, one thing is that when you create a video that you think is only like a, a B plus, people will watch it and they will give it an A plus. So 
start i would recommend starting with the kit that you have and you can rent certain items that you think would bring value um you can try new lenses if you want or different lighting uh, but it depends on what the job is if you need excellent audio and you don't have the equipment then don't don't settle you know step up get better microphones and things like that um, but be strategic don't think that renting this piece of equipment is gonna really take you to the stars because people will already see that your video is you know at least at, at least to the moon so they're gonna they're gonna really appreciate the content without you going above and beyond with your equipment in my experience i think you heard all of us we basically all started with like you know the the $50 light kit or <laughs> the cheaper drone. I'm sure yeah. Armin didn't go out with his first drone is like, you probably have a way better drone now, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, cause if you understand lighting concepts, you can, it doesn't matter that you don't have the thousand dollar Astros. You can have the aperture, you know, like 500 led light panels or less than that. I mean, I see, I use all those cheap little lights. Once you understand the concept of lighting, I mean, I, we always used to joke, and I can shoot that shoot with a flashlight and a shiny board, you know, see, but you can, it's all about the image that you wind up with at the end of the day. So I, I do recommend owning gear because I, during the pandemic, I got a, I mean, I've always owned my gear. That was the first thing I did was buy a small kit. You know, I started C100, small things, you know, but the lens that would go across any camera I'm using. So I stuck with the Canon zooms and stuff at first, but you make that look really good. And then, yeah, now I've got the rope down prime set. I got all this stuff. Um, but I, but because you can be called like people can call me this evening and I'll be out shooting tomorrow um, because I own my own gear. I don't have to deal with the rental house or trying to find anything. So I like to own a basic kit where I can go out and at least be dangerous in an interview set situation. I think also you can, it's harder when you're first starting out, but even when you're first starting out, if you have a, like a couple lights and a camera and a lens, right. And the client wants something specific that to say needs a slider, you can just add that into the budget. Like, yes, we can totally get that, but we need, XYZ dollars. Um, so you don't have to take that out of your pay. Although usually when you're starting, you take things out of your pay so you can have the client and get it on your reel and hopefully they call you back for more. Um, uh, Stefano, welcome. He's here. He's a trainer for Blackmagic Design from Italy. Welcome. Um, Jamie Allen, question, how do you build up your corporate profile? It's usually through social media or is there any other unique ideas to stand out? And we've talked a lot about relationships and social media. Are there other things you guys do to sort of build that profile? You have a website. You got to have a website these days. Um, but yeah, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And I just post lots of, you know, the more interesting things um, or setups, but you got to just stick out. You got to be persistent with it. It has to be part of your job. That's what I dedicate like the first day of every month to is making sure I've got up to date stuff out there. Uh so I would love to hear, um, Armin, how has the pandemic affected you? Because there are limited, if any, open houses. Um, are you still, I would almost assume you would get more work because you they really need your video now. What are your thoughts on how the pandemic's affecting? Yeah, er early on in the pandemic, it did slow down a bit just because everything kind of slowed down. And then uh, as things started opening up again, we don't do open houses anymore. So yeah, video has become a necessity. Uh, in the market, but also that statistic might be a little skewed because everything is selling right now on, in California, at least in my area, like people are putting a house on the market and it, it sells before I'm done editing the video. And uh, so it, it's a little bit of both. Um, so some realtors were like, well, I don't need a video for this house because I'm very positive it's going to sell. Uh, they try and save that on their budget because usually I get paid by the real estate agent and he's paying me from his commissions. So if he feels he can sell the house without a video, he might not necessarily do a video and just might stick with photos. But, uh, but and then at the other hand, like he'll, I'll have agents that are like, well, I'm for sure going to sell this house. So I want to spend money and get some marketing content because a lot of what I do is like I archive all the footage that I shoot for agents. And then like later on in the future, I'll do like a reel for them where like show like multiple listings that oh, they've nice. made. And, and that's something that they can post uh, for a longer period of time. Cause with, with my videos that I make for agents, once the house sells, it's a useless video really. Um, so I try and archive a lot of that. So the, the pandemic kind of slowed things down in the beginning, but it's been picking back up lately. Shia, how are you making a living with a, with the pandemic really affecting weddings? I would assume. Uh, with, Proper financial planning, I will say. Well, 
I mean, no, I'm, I, I, we joke, but it's true. Like as a free, that's one thing students, you have to know this is a freelancer. Do not spend your money when you get it. <laughs> oh, I yeah. always say build, I w if I had three months build up in savings, then I could allow myself to buy something. But mm -hmm. Shia, yes, for sure. Financial planning. <laughs> yeah. So in uh, here in British Columbia and uh, Canada, we were, we were restricted to having 50 people last year. Um, at a wedding, which is a good amount, but the average uh, guest list is about 100 or so people. And we were still shooting a little bit of weddings, but then it went down to 10. And then so many couples were postponing to this year. Yeah. They're postponing again, which is pretty rough, but because there are certain policies and contracts, then it allows us to have a little bit of income. Um, so work, uh, work is only available with, with a little sprinkling. Uh, it has slowed down a lot, but I pivoted and started offering live streaming. So early on, I had to see mm. what I had to kind of project and see what there would be, uh, what there'd be a need for. So I invested, I had the capital to uh, invest in live streaming equipment and troubleshooted the first two, but have since then managed to provide a good service. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you're using StreamYard, but that's what we use and it makes all the other stuff just seems so overly complicated and unnecessary. It's amazing what StreamYard does. I love them. Hello, Dave Shatnoff from Canoga Park, producer in LA. Uh, Vicky, what challenges have you faced in your career and how have you overcome them? I mean, that's a pretty big question. Uh, <laughs> but what's the first thing that comes to mind? That's something that just like maybe almost knocked you off even ever. Like we've all had those moments where it's like, what am I doing? I quit. <laughs> Does anything come to mind for you guys? competition competition <laughs> yeah competition and um feeling like i wasn't adequate when i've seen other people's work um so that doesn't go away your work no. is beautiful and it won't it doesn't matter you will forever till you die think my my work is shit let's just yeah, how we are as filmmakers oh uh, it can be rough yeah I think when I parted with my company, I mean, I was there for 17 years and I just, you know, you could feel the roughness getting there. It was like, I think they wanted me to go and I needed to branch out, but I was afraid to go because you, you get used to the paycheck and insurance mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And so, yeah, it's like, I, I mean, over a course of three days, I bought a little basic kit and started my website and got business cards and started making contacts. So, you know, it was just like, oh my God, I don't have the safety net anymore. And, but you know, and I, but I parted ways with that company very well. And they were my biggest client in the first year. So now that not that, like, that helps. Grown, yeah, it does. <laughs> but still, that, I mean, that was, that was it. I had to prove it to myself. Could I do yeah. this on my own? There's never a perfect time. I think that sometimes you get forced out of the nest. Like I was laid off after, you know, seven years of steady paycheck and I had to figure out how to make a living as a filmmaker full time at that point. And I think that that's kind of the challenge that we all face as freelancers is how do you make the living? How do you make the, how do you get the next client? You don't know where rent's coming from. Are you the kind of person who can be okay with that? Like there's a lot of stuff that like some people aren't. So maybe they need to have a side hustle job that's, you know, working at Starbucks or something or, you know, working in an office. Um, Armin, have you have, what is the biggest challenge that came to mind for you? Um, my biggest challenge as far as the filmmaking part goes, because I had zero filmmaking experience when I got started. Like I didn't even know how to use a camera. When I, I can already hear drone ops when you said I just didn't even I hear drone ops just around the country going, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and a, a lot of the a lot of the mistakes I made, like on the on client work were like my biggest lessons that I learned. So um, I guess like luckily it were just small real estate videos. It wasn't like a big production where I messed everything up. But uh, but I did learn a lot from making a lot of mistakes and, and then just watching YouTube videos and learning and just just getting better at the craft and building the, the skills and, and then getting to a point where I can confidently call myself a filmmaker. Like if, if I, if you told me the day I was buying my drone that I'd call myself a filmmaker one day, like I would have laughed at you. But <laughs> like now it's become like an engraved part of my life that like, it's, it's, it took a long time to get to. Are you now snobby about it? Like, Oh, those, that new drone operator. <laughs> no, no, I actually get like nostalgic when I see like up and coming filmmakers and I try and help out as much as I can. Oh, and, uh, I love that. Jen. Um, Jen, can, I didn't an actually answer like the second part of the question. Can I just yes, touch on quickly? Yes, by all uh, means, please. So, That's what we're here for. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, Vicky, you said like you asked how we overcome these issues. In terms of imposter syndrome, 
this photographer, uh, Sachin Kona, who's been instrumental in our community here. He said like, don't compare yourself to others, compare your yourself to where you are now, to where you started. And I look back at my work from how many years ago, it's atrocious, <laughs> if I can say that about my own work. Uh, so if you ever feel like you're not doing a good job or you're inadequate after a year of work, two years, then just look back at where you started. Um, yeah, it's been tough at times, but then looking back, uh, we, we've moved, we've we've progressed so far. Um, and Armin, I think you've made it, man. You're definitely a filmmaker for sure, dude. Your work is great. I feel like when it comes to progression too, like you should always be trying to be better than the last thing. Like, how can I make this one a little better than the last one? Even though I have the same, maybe it's the same script and the same gear and the same client, whatever it is always trying to do something a little more, push yourself a little further. Like even in our web series or our uh, weekly live show here or in our weekly live show for Tuners in a Garage, every week we're like, what sucked? How can we be better? I don't think you ever can stop questioning that when you're out working with clients. You just have, as a filmmaker in general, really, uh, never, never rest. Uh, we had... Um, Oh, so Ryan has an interesting question because we do have a lot of students on and I don't want to offend them that they're going to school for film. But Ryan says, what are your thoughts on going to school for video versus learning online with the vast amounts of tutorials? And I don't know on here. I feel like most of us were not film students. Am I correct? Louisa, you weren't either, right? Well, oh, Sh I, Shia, I pretty, you were? Yeah, well, and I, I did go to the Art Institute to like I my first major was advertising. And then I went and got hands on at the Art Institute. And then but then I got a job. You know, the, the job was really where I mastered it. Mm hmm. Shia, you did. You said you were in school for broadcast, right? Yeah, it was video production and then a little bit of film theory. Uh, it, it it allowed me to like meet industry professionals and make mistakes with other students. So it was beneficial for me, but then there were my peers that were in school, but then weren't taking advantage. So yeah. maybe it didn't give them the result that they were looking for. And that's uh, what I, I mean. I jumped on every extra project that I could find when yeah. I was at the Art Institute. I mean, I was down making a, you know, I was, I would even help one, the one instructor repaint his mole Richardson lights, you know, <laughs> but I would, but he took us on commercials and stuff. And I mean, he, he got all the free help, but I took advantage. Like he said, you know, if you can get a camera at any mm -hmm. moment, then that's why you do it. I, I For think sure. Experience is, it, it is the best teacher because you can watch the tutorial about that new camera that you want to get. But if you're not actually fiddling around with it, and being able to make adjustments when you're on the job, then the tutorial isn't helping. Whereas you could have gone to school and got your hands on the new red, like or, or things like that. So, but I will say that like there is there is a lesson out there for everything. So if you can do the thing where you learn it and you go out and do it, because there is no film school that is going to teach you what you learn being out in the real world filming. Just right. it's not going to happen. Um, but I do like that Shia's point about like if you are in film school, you've got to take advantage of two important things. One, intern because you cannot intern once you leave school and you can you can really get a jump start in your career if you intern. And two, uh, the gear. I remember I used to, um, I didn't go to film school, but I took, my sister worked at this uh, music school that had a film program. I was able to take it for six months for free and I literally did it so I could use the gear. And I would check out the red every single weekend and one point my teacher was like, why do you keep checking out the camera? And I was like, why is nobody else checking out the camera? Like, it was so weird to me that people weren't out shooting every weekend. That's the truth. I mean, in, yeah. in the phones now these days, I'm sorry. If you light it right, your phone can look good. If you're not, if you're a student and you're not already making professional videos to get on your website, you're already behind the curve because you, you can't. And that's where I started building my clients too, because I would, I would borrow the red and I would go fill, film with like some friends actor reel and they'd pay me a hundred bucks. But now I had this actor reel scene and then more actors started to come. I actually built a whole actor reel business. I quit doing it. The pandemic kind of luckily was like, Jen, you don't want to do some more stop. So I don't do it anymore, but I was doing that legit as a side hustle. Um, Stefano asks, uh, he wants to know what program we're using to do the split screen in this live. It is streamer. That's what I'm saying. Like if you want to do lives at all, I, I wish I wish StreamYard would pay me for as much as I promote them because <laughs> I'm always like, you guys, are you on StreamYard? Affiliate link. Yeah, it is. It, it literally changes, uh, changed our lives, all of our lives. It's it changed our lives as in live shows and our lives as in how we live easier. Uh, <laughs> Joseph, he wants to know in terms of a fee for your work, how do you approach each shoot? That is a good one when you're freelance. 
Uh, anybody want to tackle that first? Yeah, I can go for that. Um, with real estate, I, I do it. I started off charging a lot less than I'm charging now. Um, also depends on the house, the square footage, uh, how much work that's going to go into, you know, like filming each room. Some properties I visit multiple times at different times of day based on whether the sun is in the backyard or the front yard. But I do have like a set price and, and, like a minimum you can call it. And I did raise that and I, like, I try and raise it every year. And what happens is you do lose a lot, of, a few clients that just can't afford to pay more because they're not at that caliber. But what ends up really happening is you you hold on to the clients that are selling like the multi-million dollar homes. And now you're only filming multi-million dollar homes and those are easier to make look good, you know, because it's a multi-million dollar home. And, uh, and, you know, you just have to like, set yourself apart from everybody else. And then the clients that I did lose when I raised my price, when they did get a listing that was a multi-million dollar listing, they, they came back to me for, for that listing because now they have the budget for it. So um, it's, it's a little bit of like playing, uh, understanding what that local market is within the real estate community, what other videographers are charging and where you see your work compared to, compared to those videographers. Uh, specifically in the real estate community. Um, I do other work as well, but like majority of my work is real estate. And I've kind of branded myself as the expensive guy in town because there are other videographers that do it for, for less than I do. But when those agents that use those videographers get a big listing, I get that phone call. I love that. Uh, Shia, how about you? How did you start learning to set your price and when to go up? So I started with just seeing what the industry was doing and then I lowered that because I didn't value myself. Um, but I've been, I was listening to this podcast called the grow your video business podcast, um, through studio Sherpa as it's called. And they were advertising this, this product called the budget maximizer. And this is not, I'm not sponsored or anything, but the budget maximizer gave me a tool where I could, uh, in a spreadsheet, put down how many hours I'm going to need, how many hours of editing and built in with just a little bit of like profit for yourself. Because if you're only allowing for eight hours of business, then you're not, or sorry, of a shoot, you're not really accounting for planning, going to the job and things like that. So this budget maximizer tool allowed me to actually build a budget that allows me to provide a great product but pay myself so that I can continue doing this and still I love that. I've never yeah. even heard of that. That's great. Budget maximizer is great. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, Louisa, do you have an actual way of, of, yeah. So when I hit the freelance market, I went to, I took, I went to production. I was uh, stalking production companies on the East and West coast. Yeah. I'm in Dallas. So, so, so I kind of lowered the prices, but I would go to a production company and see what they, if, you, if they give you the rates for a one man band or a two person crew and I'd see what they were doing. So I knew, but I really take into consideration how, how much my gear would rent for. Like I know my market value. If I had to go rent my camera and all my lights, I'm going to, you know, I want to, I'm not, you know, so that I'm, I set a gear rate and then my camera rate and that's how I combine it to do my day rate. Mm -hmm. So the gear I'm bringing to the show and that's, you know, and I'll, you know, obviously it's not, item for item, I give a deal on it. So, but that's how I feel. It's like, I'm again, a little more expensive than some of the guys in around town, but I have a little bit better gear than some of the guys around town. And I, and again, I don't want to work for the, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not looking, I'm not stalking, you know, Craigslist to do the $200 10 hour jobs anymore. I always used to do a thing where it's like, you know, when I was first starting out. So if, if I was 200 bucks a day, for instance, it's 200 bucks, you get me and my camera. You want a light? Oh, that's 300. You know, if you want me to do sound, oh, that's 400. Oh, you want me to bring a sound guy? Now I'm budgeting for the sound guy. Um, I also think that when you're first starting, one way to look at it is like how it kind of goes back to the budget maximizer. This is how I would do it. I would say how much, so this is going to take a week of my time between uh, prep, editing, and shooting. How much is a week of my time? So then I would say, say your budget for the month, you need $2,500 for your month to make all your bills. I would divide that by four and say, well, this is what my one week needs to be worth. It's just an easy way when you're first starting out to go, how much is my day worth? Um, so you can even say like my budget's $2,500. So divide that by 30 days. This is how much I have to make per day, whatever it is. It's just a really easy way to start. Then you'll start finding that like the more exhausted you get and the less tolerant you have of certain things, the more you start charging. And then you get either better gigs or you're okay with the crap because you're charging more. So I think it's just a learning process. Um, 
and you'll just know. You just kind of start knowing when you need to go up. But never um, undervalue your gear. That's all. If you own gear, don't undervalue your gear. Make sure you're getting that money. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, I wanted to see if we have any other last-minute questions because we're almost out of time. Um, I was going to also, I guess, on the budget, too, is you always got to remember crew. Like, if when you are not not talking about filmmaking, I'm talking about strictly client videos where it's usually like you and one other person or you and a few shooters and a sound guy. Um, your budget needs to include them plus you. So a lot of times when I would start out, I would go, okay, I made enough to pay these guys. I'm like, oh man, I didn't leave enough in the budget for me to get a decent paycheck. And you have to also be okay paying yourself. <laughs> you are worth it. You are worth it. You are going out there and doing this. You need to pay yourself, period. Amen. And you need to pay yourself for the day you're shooting. Exactly. And you need to pay yourself for the day you're editing. And you know, like all of that stuff. Um, I don't see any more questions rolling in. So I guess, uh, although P has a funny one, P has a funny one. If we could um, help her out with one last thought. She said she's shooting that sh her first short film outdoors, the absolute middle of nowhere, because she's smart like that. And she's concerned because she won't have a generator or a ton of toys. Any pro tips or experience or voodoo rituals or human sacrifice any ideas <laughs> i mean you guys shoot a lot without lights like or without any kind of generators so what are your the final sun, the sun tracker app is your friend <laughs> know where the sun's gonna be at all times you have a shiny board even if it's your car sun's sunshade i've actually lit a night scene with the car headlights and the in the in the my windshield <laughs> shiny reflector thing so that's kind of funny so you can do it if you want to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Uh, Matthew agrees. He says reflectors. All right. You know, I'm so grateful for you guys' time. Um, I hope that everybody has gotten something from this. I loved hearing. I, I just love the sort of war stories. We all we've all been through similar things. We, you know, like this is just a life of a freelancer. You have clients who suck and then you have clients who are amazing and everybody in between. You have times where your money sucks and times where your money's amazing. It just it's the ebb and flow being okay with that. Um any other final thoughts from you guys? Louisa, do you have a final thought for our audience? If you can dream it, you can be it. Just I love no, it. Trust that. <laughs> Shia? Uh, make connections, establish healthy relationships that are long lasting. And Armin? Um, just to always know that the, the best project you're working on is the next one. So, you know, if you're <laughs> doubtful about your work now, it's always going to get better. It will always get better and then it'll get worse and then it will get better. Just know it's an ebb and flow. Always. All of you students who are watching, thank you for tuning in. I think it's awesome that you guys are all here from the UK somehow. We love that you're here. Um, and thank you so much to our panelists for sharing all their thoughts and just sort of putting it all on the table for us. Really appreciate it. You can see their, their social media handles, reach out to them if you have more questions or if you want to hire them for anything. And um, we're going to let them get out of here. Thanks guys. 